Hey guys. Um, my name is Sierra. I have a new life in Christ and I'm in recovery from pride, anger, and control. Uh, so if you were here last week, then you probably heard uh, that we were going to be doing a panel um, today. And so a lot of you submitted questions via the Texan option and through social media. And so today we're going to try to cover as much as we can. We got quite a few questions, so we're not going to be able to cover all of them. But we did try to condense stuff down in order to kind of get a little bit of everything. And so you have some very special guests on the stage. Um, these are four of our coaches. And so uh, what a coach is, is basically in our step groups and in groundwork, we have our leaders. And then we have people that are kind of over them and shepherd them and care for them. And we call those coaches. And so we have four coaches here that have been a part of the ministry for a long time. So they have a lot of wisdom to give you. Um, and so what I'm going to have them do is introduce themselves. So we'll start right here um, with Zig, but say your full name, you know. You want me to say my, my real name? Not your Okay. Okay. He has, uh, he has a lot of names. Yeah. Uh, so, hey, guys, my name is Michael, but I go by Zig around here. Uh, I have a new life in Christ, and I'm in recovery from pride, porn, people-pleasing, and a lot of fear right now. So. <laughs> hey, Zig. Hey, guys. My name is Shoni. I have a new life in Christ, and I'm recovering from alcoholism, codependency, and unbelief. And this week, I would say anxiety and fear. Hey, Shoni. Hey, my name is Chuck. I have a new life in Christ. I struggle with lust, codependency, control, and I think this week a little anxiety as well. Hey, Chuck. Hi, my name is Amy. I have a new life in Christ. I am in recovery for control, pride, and um, I would hate to break the chain, but a whole lot of anxiety and fear. <laughs> hey, Amy. All right, guys. Um, and so, like I said, we're so grateful for them and the ways that they serve on Monday nights. Um, and so we're going to go ahead and jump in and kind of just start with the questions um, that we got submitted. And so kind of the first question is the most common pattern that you see in those finding true healing and recovery through region. And so, Zig, I'll kind of start with you since you have the mic. Yeah, so I actually love this question. Um, and get it from guys all the time, but I actually don't want to answer the question. I want to answer the question before the question. Um, and so often, I know in my own experience, when I was sitting out here, I wanted to know what I needed to do. Like, hey, I came here for this problem or that problem. What do I do to fix it? Um, and what I want to remind you of before I actually talk about what you can do, it's what's already been done for you. And so if you don't know who Jesus Christ is, if you haven't had the moment where you've declared him as Lord and Savior, it's not about what you can do. Because Ephesians 2.8 teaches us that we, do, we are not saved by our works, that we are saved by the grace of God. And so if we forget that um, and try to then accomplish everything on our own, we miss the whole point of it. So Paul talks about it in Galatians uh, 2.20. He says, for I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself to me. He goes on later in three to say, um, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing of faith? Are you foolish? Have you begun by the Spirit? Um, or are you being perfected by the flesh? And so we've got to remember that, hey, we didn't do anything to earn God's grace that he chose us, he saved us. It was not based on our works. And we're actually not going to be completed. Like He's going to continue to work because of our works. 
And so it is God who changes us. Um, it is he who opens our eyes to the areas that we are sinful. Um, and so we have to depend on a relationship with him, not just for salvation, but in our day-to-day. And the way that plays out is in Galatians 5.1 later on. He says, for freedom Christ has set you free. Um, Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of bondage. And so Christ has set us free from the the power of sin. And so we are going to spend our daily lives learning what that means. And so practically, the ways we can do that are really simple. There are three things. You can spend time in God's word, beginning to understand his truth and the way that he wants to, to work in you and he would have you live. The second one is you spend time in, with God's spirit through prayer. We see that later in Galatians 5, that when we walk by the spirit, we receive the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, and, and many others. All those things that we're actually desiring that we've been looking for. And then lastly, you spend time with God's people doing the first two together. Like you want people in your life who are not just gonna come around you and cheer you on, but who are actually gonna get down in the dirt with you who are willing to ask you the hard questions, who are willing to, to push back and challenge you while also spurring you on. And so we can't forget, though, that all of this is done because of an abiding relationship with Christ. Because John 5 tells us, like, hey, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, you can do nothing apart from me. So even in our doing, we have to be dependent on him. That's good. Thanks, Ig. It's great to hear those truths. I can add a few more practical things. I would say from um, in my AA recovery, I learned that how the steps work for life change is an acronym for how, and how stands for being honest, open, and willing. I'd love to share some of the things I've seen in the groups that I've led. I would say first, when we finally get honest with ourselves and with others and God, we can start to move forward in finding freedom. Denial, rationalization, justifying sin, can keep us trapped in our insanity. And a lifetime of coping strategies or survival mechanisms and responses to trauma can seem normal to us. So bringing these things out into the light allows God to enter in and give us a new path. 1 John 1, 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. It can feel really scary and vulnerable and hard to share that stuff, Um, to be gut level honest and all in, not holding back the last 2%, but it is the beginning of change in Christ. So second, we need to be open, open to looking at ourselves and God in new ways and not relying on our old thinking. We also have to be open to our own feelings, letting ourselves express and feel our feelings. To understand that painful or negative emotions doesn't mean that we're failing or that we don't have enough faith. They mean that we are human and we need to explore what they are telling us. Um, I would say naming those emotions and expressing them instead of avoiding our feelings or covering them or coping in in destructive or unhealthy ways is um, key. Being open also means having a humble and teachable spirit. I don't always have the answers, even though it feels that way. This is a huge thing that I've seen in the groups that I've coached. Um, I've seen when people are closed off to counsel or the spirit, they really have a a hard time finding recovery. In Isaiah 55, 9, God says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Our best thoughts, God is here desperate for freedom. We have to be open to doing something different. Letting go of my own thoughts and self-will 
makes room for God's will. And then lastly, we need willingness. Willingness to show up when we don't feel like it. Willing to make time spending with God a priority and answering our step work and and going deep in that. Willing to go to those hard and painful places. Willing to say no to good things and making our step work a priority. This is deep soul work. Willing to ask for help and come out of isolation and be known by others. Willing to be held accountable by those in our group and our mentors and leaders and put things in place to help us guard against temptation. Willing to go to any length one day at a time. We have to trust the process and ask what's done um, and do what's asked for us. Willing to be patient with ourselves. Focusing on progress and not perfection. We spend a lifetime stuck in these patterns, so give yourself compassion and accept Christ's grace for you that it's not a quick fix, it's a lifetime process. These small steps of obedience move us on the path of recovery as we seek intimacy with Jesus and find hope and healing through him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, but all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I would say Jesus has radically changed my heart and my life, and I've seen him do that with many, many people here at Regen. So um, trust him because he has paid it all and he loves you. That's good. Uh, Progress, not perfection. It's something that I know I consistently have to remind myself of. And I think I love just how both of y'all answered it differently of like, hey, and in some ways the same. It's like, hey, there's a heart behind it and really asking ourselves that question. But then also the practical of, and there's sometimes that we have to take a step of faith and trust the Lord and be willing and open um, and honest with ourselves and with the Lord. So I love that. Thank you guys for sharing that. Um, and, And kind of with that, I think, when we're trying to find recovery, there's a lot of times that we're just begging and praying for the Lord to change our hearts or to give us things or to take things away. And so prayer is a really big part of the recovery process. And so one of the questions that we got that I'm gonna give it to Chuck, um, and it's how to respond when God doesn't answer prayers that align with his will found in scripture. So basically it's like, hey, this is God's will. I found it in scripture and yet he's not answering this prayer. How would you respond to that? Yeah, I think that's an incredible question for a lot of different reasons because prayer really is probably one of the most undervalued resources of the church, and yet there are those times when we are doing our very best to align our hearts and our minds and our spirit with what God would have us to do. And we see that happen in Scripture. For instance, in the book of Daniel, Daniel's a man who prays three times a day. And for 70 years, he prays, and he would like to see the deliverance of his people. And he comes across a passage in Jeremiah that says, hey, the time of exile will be about 70 years long. And so he starts praying very specifically, God, please, if this is our time, let it be. And so there's this twist of the story in Daniel 9, chapter or verse 21, you have Gabriel, the angel, come and he speaks to Daniel and says, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I've come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. And I want you to think about Daniel's life for a second. Here is a man who has been kidnapped, enslaved, castrated. He's lived under oppression. He's been betrayed by his co-workers. He's lived in constant danger, survived regime changes, and yet he hears this word from the Lord, you are greatly loved. So here's the thing that you can find out about Daniel as you read his story. He was absolutely relentless in his prayer. He never stopped praying. 
three times a day, continuing to seek the Lord's face. But there's a second thing out of Daniel's story that I think shows up, and another way that I'd answer this question, kind of using his story as a lens, and it really is, don't give up praying in year 69. A lot of times, we will give up. There's an old recovery axiom that goes, don't give up until the miracle happens. And sometimes we give up before the miracle quest, before the miracle happens. And my question for all of us is how long will you pray before you give up? In Daniel 10, verse 12, you find these words that are encouragement from the Lord. He says, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God. Your words have been heard. So how do you respond when it seems that God is silent? Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Keep praying. Don't be anxious about anything, but with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's good. And, and what's funny about that time, well, not really funny, it was kind of ironic, is people were in such despair. It was like, you know, where is this God that loves us and pursues us? And I mean, you see even just the prophets and them crying out to the Lord and um, you see depression and despair all throughout. And that was also another question that we got a lot was around mental health, depression, anxiety. Like that was a lot of the questions. And so um, one of the things, I know this is a part of your story, Amy, and so we'd love to kind of pitch this to you and, and really help us discuss and understand kind of depressive tendencies and how to effectively identify, communicate, and fight them. Would love for you to answer that. Yeah. Um, it was just under a year ago that I sat down with Sierra in the town center and told her that I was <laughs> struggling with depression. Um, I'm a coach, been a leader, been around for a minute, and um, it was just a whole lot of lies that were swirling that I couldn't get out of. It was sitting in a situation that just felt kind of hopeless. And, um, and so I get to answer this question, um, and I'm grateful. Um, struggling with depression often looks like fighting lies and feelings. Um, feelings are big, and um, lies are overwhelming. Um, isolation is the breeding ground for both. Get around others who are healthy and more spiritually mature than you. Meditating on scripture and prayer are key. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Jesus wants to take our burdens and our pain. He tells us in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Um, for me, that looks like um, listening to worship music, um, getting outside, and whether that's sitting outside, having a cup of coffee, or going on a hike, grabbing some friends, um, going on a road trip, um, and especially just talking through my feelings and recognizing um, my triggers, recognizing what kind of tips you off into a state of um, overwhelming feelings and lies. Um, the world is hard and mean, but there's still a lot of good. Our hope it, it isn't in this world. It isn't in an Instagram post. It isn't in a fun weekend getaway. While those things are fun, and I like both of those things, um, that's not where my joy is. That's not what's going to keep um, my feelings or the lies from swirling. Um, it's in Jesus. He was tempted. He was hated. He was mocked. He knows your despair, and he wants you to know fullness of joy and freedom. So good. And, man, that 
we could probably spend hours upon hours talking about mental health and depression and anxiety. It's something we talk about a lot on our team and just in a lot of pastoral conversations here. And just wanting to add to that of because we live in a sinful, broken, fallen world, um, just like every other organ of the body, our brain is subject to decay. And that's hard that we might suffer from depression and anxiety or other mental health conditions, and, and it's difficult. Um, and so if that's a part of your story, we're, we're so glad that you're here and that you're wanting to find healing and hope. And um, I, I think the cool part is that the Bible speaks to everything. There's nothing new under the sun. And so you see that there are so many times where you see depression or um, just anger or anxiety or whatever it is. But I think something about just being in the Christian world, it can easily feel like, well, if I feel those things, God's word says, don't be anxious. So I can't be anxious. And so just like push it away. Or um, I can't be angry. So just like push it away. Um, and two quotes that I really, really enjoy about emotions. One is from J.D. Greer, and it says that emotions are like smoke from a fire. Uh, that if there was a fire in front of you, you would never just like waft away the smoke and just be like, well, like whatever, it's fine. Instead, you would say, oh no, there's a fire. Let me go put it out, right? And so you'd go look for it so that you could put out the fire and get rid of the smoke. Or Lisa Turker says that um, emotions are um, indicators, but they're not dictators. So they indicate something deeper is going on, but they do not dictate our life. They do not dictate what we believe about God or who he says that we are. Um, and that's the beauty, that we are created to be emotional beings, and yet they don't have to rule our life. And so regardless of how this is a part of your story, I know for me, when I walked into regeneration years ago, my depression was completely engulfed because of my sin. Um, and it was, I was making a lot of terrible decisions. I was completely giving myself over to sin. And so I was spiraling into just a season of depression. Now, for some of you, that's not your story. Maybe you're faithfully following the Lord and you're asking yourself the question, how am I still here? I'm depressed. You know, just Amy shared that of like, shouldn't I have it together? And it's like, no, man, we still live in a sinful, fallen, broken world. And that's where we get to bring people into our lives. We get to be in a safe space like regeneration and say, hey, here's what I'm walking through. Here's what I'm struggling with. Will you walk with me? Um, and so we can't fix all the questions or we can't fix all the things here. Um, but what we can do is we can point you to the one who can, which is Jesus. He can heal all and he does restore, which is just a beautiful thing about um, any struggle that you walked through the store with. Um, but yeah, and so with that, um, I think having people around, you've kind of heard it multiple times of you need to have people around you. You know, Zig said, God's, God's people. And then you heard Shoni say, bring people in. And, and so we have to have those people around us. But I think one of the words that we kind of get tripped up over is the word discipleship. And so that's a question that we got is what is discipleship? Now, if I went around the room and handed the mic to everyone, everyone would have a different definition and a different understanding. And so, uh, Chuck, you've been following Jesus for a long time. No, that is Are you not. saying I'm I'm not saying you're old. Okay. <laughs> you are advanced in your years of loving Jesus. That's what it is. That's a nice way of saying I'm old. It's you're good. You're welcome. Though. You're welcome. Um, and so I'd love for you to answer that question of like, what is discipleship? Yeah. So I think the best way to, to really look at this question is to go and really look at what Jesus said. At the end of Matthew's gospel, we have what is called the Great Commission, where Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you even until the end 
of the age. And so in that long sentence, you've got several verbs of go and make disciples and baptize and teach. But if you look at that sentence in the original language, it's just one verb, and it's make disciples. Everything else is a description, a participle that modifies that verb, telling you that, that's, that this is part of the disciple-making process. And so there was a common word in Hebrew that is translated disciple that's called Talmud, and it, it was a student, a learner, but it was really, really a lot more. And so people would find a rabbi, a teacher, someone they wanted to be like, whose cause they believed in, and they would go and sit at their feet. And literally sitting at their feet was like the application process. And so as they sat there, the rabbi would ply them with questions, and they would see if they were actually someone who could follow in their footsteps, who could do the things that they were doing. And if they were accepted, they literally would spend the next few years following that teacher, literally doing everything that teacher did. Ray Vanderland, who is both an archaeologist and a teacher, gave the best definition of kind of this process when he said, a disciple did not merely want to know what his master knew, but to do what his master did. And so you come to the book of Acts, and you find those words, make disciple, and it describes both that initial act of helping someone come to know Jesus, which can happen in a moment, as well as the act of helping them in that lifelong process of becoming like Jesus, which takes a lifetime. And so this commission to make disciples called the Great Commission isn't given to a select few, but it's given to all of us who is a follower of Jesus. In Titus 2, you have Paul commanding older women to teach younger women. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul tells Timothy to train faithful men who will in turn train other faithful men. In Ephesians 6, you have Paul saying to fathers, disciple, train up your children. In Matthew 28, you have this command to go to all the nations and make disciples and exhort one another. In Hebrews 3, we have that command that all Christians are to exhort one another and build each other up. So I would say it this way, Sarah, as kind of a closing to that question. There is no such thing as a non-producing, reproducing Christian. Jesus said to these men, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so if we are following Jesus, that process ought to be showing up in our lives as well. Yeah, that's good. And I think that's, again, the heart behind discipleship um, because it can look a lot of ways. Like for some of you, when I said discipleship, you're like, oh, that's with me and seven other men or seven other win women getting together and reading God's word. Or that's me and one, you know, um, someone who's been, following Jesus for way longer than me and, and pouring into me, or maybe it's just hanging out with someone, you know, and, and doing life together, like whatever it might look like. Um, ultimately, the goal is that, is that we are reproducing. We are going out and making disciples of all nations because that's what Christ has called us to do. And so that's so good. Thanks, Chuck. And um, with that, I think as we're growing in our love and understanding um, for Christ, one of the questions that we often get a lot is, but how can I discern if something is God's will 
and or not something my flesh or my heart is instinctively drawn to. So basically it's like, hey, is this God telling me to do it or is this like my own emotions and desires and will? And so kind of like what's happening there. And so um, Zig, I'd love for you to answer that question. Yeah, I will explain God's will. Great. Um, <laughs> no big deal. It's fine. Awesome. Not, not an easy topic. <laughs> this is what God wants for you. Yeah. Continue. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it's actually, it's a really great question. I mean, as someone who also struggles with control, um, it's a question I battle with often. I'm like, hey, God, are you leading me to do this or to do that? Like, hey, I, I just want to respond in faithfulness. But underneath it, I kind of want to know where we're heading. Um, and so I think it's really helpful. Um, it's just to go to God's word. And I don't know if he could have made it more clear than he did in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. So he didn't say the will of God is to lay out a path for you. He didn't say that the will of God is that you would accomplish this. He says, no, no, no. The will of God is your sanctification. And sanctification is a word that we don't use a ton in our culture. But what it basically means is to be set apart. So because of Christ's work on the cross, our sins were paid for with his death. But when he raised from the grave, we received freedom from, our, from the power of our sin. And so he is telling us now that, hey, now that you have been buried and you have been raised with Christ, I am going to set you apart. You're going to live different than everyone else. Um, I'm going to teach you my truth. You're going to live in my kingdom. You're going to live my way. And so that is sanctification. And it's really important to understand that when we start to look at the things that God puts in our lives. Because we so often want to know the answer. God, do you want me to choose A or B? But what God is saying, he's saying, no, no, no. I want to sanctify you. I want to work on the inside of you. I want you to de depend on me. I want you to trust me, turn to me, follow me. Because the reality is, if we knew where God was going to take us, we probably wouldn't go there. Like, if we knew 10 years from now where we were going to be, we would probably be like, nah, God, I'm out. Like, no. I, I saw where I was 10 years ago and what it took to get here. I'm not down for that. But the reality is, God wants to take us there, but he wants to take us step by step by step developing us, changing us, sanctifying us. And so it's a great question on how do I know? Um, you know because you lean into it and you allow God to lead. And ironically, it's the same three ways as I talked before. You do it by studying God's word. You say, hey, does this line up with God's truth? Is it in scripture? Is there a command against it or for it? And then you take those and you pray through them with God's spirit. And you allow God's spirit to lead you. It's Galatians 5 again. The funny thing is Galatians 5, the fruits of the spirit, turns into Galatians 6, where it talks about walking with others. And so you begin to see that, that God is not just simply trying to get you to a point. He's trying to change you so that you can be in community with other believers. And that's just the last one, is that you really just do God's word and you pray with other believers as well. And through that, God's spirit will bring unity. And then at the end of the day, if you're not sure what to do, you respond in faithfulness. You say, hey, God, I think this is where you're leading me. I have checked my motives. I have spoke with your people. And now I'm just going to take a step of faith to follow you. That's good. Something that 
people always want to know right or wrong. And sometimes when we do all that Zig just said, it's a right or left. And that's scary because you're like, wait, I get to choose? God's like, yes. And you're like, but I don't want to choose anymore. I want you to tell me what to do, uh, which is hard. Uh, but I, I love that. And um, kind of in community and around a question that we often get from a lot of community group members or recovery groups or you know, even region groups is about uh, the step nine amends. Um, and so that is a hard step uh, for me who <clears throat> struggles with pride. Um, it was very hard for me to own a lot of my own um, kind of junk and how I hurt people. And with that, what I found though was so freeing in so many ways. But then we start to get the question of, but when do I make amends? When should I not make amends in person? And so, um, Amy, I know that you've been a coach for a long time. And so this is probably a question that you've gotten quite a few times um, is, Truly, when should you not make amends in person? Um, well, you're sending me all the questions that reveal just <laughs> what a sinner I am. <laughs> because last year I was depressed. This year I just, this weekend, made amends with someone. <laughs> you, she literally called me while I was at Target. And she was like, oh, I just made an amends. <laughs> Way to go. Um, first off, making amends does not end with finishing the region curriculum. If you didn't know that, now you know. Um, since we are all wearing sin suits, as my husband says, we will probably be making amends for the remainder of our time here on earth. Get excited. But our hope is not that our amends become, our hope is that our amends become lighter and easier as we are quicker to identify our sin, our sin patterns, and our hurt. The hope is that we would always desire to sit in front of someone and own our wrongs, but sometimes amends aren't safe or helpful in person. And a situation where it might not be safe or helpful in person might look like um, first starting off by just praying and asking yourself and those around you if making amends in person with someone you were in a sexual relationship is a good idea. Probably not, especially if you or they are married or have since gotten married. Um, if there was abuse in the relationship, an in-person amends is probably not going to be safe. And um, if the person you're making amends with is not in a healthy place to hear you, or if it might be triggering to you. Again, um, amends is always done with wise counsel. Someone may not desire to sit down with you, and um, so maybe you write them a letter that you're nev never able to give them unless one day they become ready to sit with you. If someone has passed away, um, I've seen someone write a letter and then read it at their grave. There isn't a perfect way to do this, but talk with your people, your leaders, your mentors, and your friends. We make amends to glorify the Lord, not ourselves. If your motive is selfish or self-glorifying, you might not be ready. Amends is a very humbling step, letting others know that you recognize how you were hurtful and sinful. It's owning, it's owning 100% of your side. How do people do this? And just in case you were wondering, she said sin suit. Sin suit. I, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. I heard you. Okay. At first I thought you said swimsuit. And then I was no, like, no, sin. she said sin, sin. suit. We're in, in a your sin suit. You're, you were we're sinners. In, okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, the other person might not see or understand their part at the time of your amends, and that's okay. Amends, like forgiveness, is uncomfortable, and yet it is an excellent opportunity for growth for both of you. This isn't a time for reconciliation, but an opportunity to own your part. It is prepped and steeped in prayer and community. 
And men's is an excellent way to share the gospel and what grace looks like. Because of Christ's work and forgiveness, you can admit when you've been wrong and that you are not that person anymore. That's good. And I mean, like, like she said, amends looks so different for so many different people. There's so many factors and things that play in. So just talk to your people. It's your best bet um, to make sure that you're surrendering to the Lord. And sometimes he asks you to do stuff that you don't want to do. Um, and so you might be making an amends conversation that maybe you don't want to, um, but the Lord's calling you to. And then sometimes it's, hey, this is not best for me. Um, so it, it, again, it truly is so many factors. Um, lastly, I figured I'd just... The last easiest question, Shoni, um, of the bunch, uh, we got, I would say, like five or six questions around this kind of topic, which was about boundaries in terms of like toxic relationships or family members or friendships that were in habitual sin and just like so many things around that. Um, And so um, I kind of condensed it down to this. uh, How do you respond or even draw boundaries with a friend or a family member who is kind of in that habitual sin or maybe kind of toxic season of their life. Super easy. Yeah, that's a, that could be a long one. But um, okay, first I wanna say that we all continually sin daily. And so this can apply to our sanctification process and our recovery. But when we define habitual sin as continuing to sin without remorse or repentance or uh, sin patterns over a long period of time that lead to addiction, destruction, or one's identity, it can be really hard to navigate. Um, God calls us to love others with grace and stand firm in truth and wisdom. But this sounds simple, but it's, it's hard to carry out and can be messy. So I would say first, we have to check our own heart. Acknowledge that we are powerless to change and fix and convict people. I can't be responsible for others' choices and healing. The only thing I can control is my response or my actions towards them. And like Zig said in Psalm 139, just to ask God to search you and know your heart. Um, Where am I being judgmental, critical, bitter, or angry, self-righteous, fearful, controlling, or impatient? And how can I focus on my own recovery and walk with the Lord first? So second, I would look at what am I believing um, that God says about this in his word? Am I trusting God has a, a plan for this person, believing that only his power can save them? Trusting his timing and ways are higher than mine. Am I, um, am I not believing that um, God knows best and thinking that I know best um, with our own pride? Sometimes it takes more pain for people to come to the end of themselves. God is sovereign even in others' rebellion or our rebellion, and only he can change our hearts. In Ezekiel um, 36, 26, it says, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I put in you. I will remove the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Um, And then lastly, am I willing to trust God with the situation and surrender the outcome to him? A willingness to do what he's asked me to, or he's called me to do. And sometimes this means letting go in certain ways, having boundaries for yourself. Sometimes this means uh, stepping up and being bold with truth and setting boundaries with them. Either way, the Lord's help Uh, With his help, we can do this in a loving and kind way, just providing a safe place for people that are um, just stuck in sin so that when they're ready, they can come to us. This will look different for everyone, and each situation is different. And I would say um, just we also, like Chuck talked about, we have to be prayerful, committing to prayer for this person, not giving up on that. 
Um, asking for wisdom and letting other trusted believers in on the details of the situation and your heart is key. It can get really complicated and confusing, and God's not a God of confusion, so we need to let others in for help and support. So if they are not a believer, consider sharing the gospel and your story of grace and freedom in Christ with a focus on God's grace and love and not on the behavior and the sin. And if they are a believer, uh, praying to be bold and lean in and have that hard conversation, just going to them and saying, hey, I'm confused. You know, this is what God's word says and what you say you believe, and this is what you're doing. Just help me understand this. I care about you. Um, you know, we also may need to communicate emotional, relational, or financial expectations with clear consequences if those aren't met or if trust is broken. We can still be loving and kind, available with certain boundaries for them or ourselves when they continue in habitual sin. We have to be patient and wait on God's timing and not our own. Romans 2, 4 says God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. We need to choose love and kindness over being judgmental and condemning. I know from experience it is painful to watch those we love in habitual sin. It is only by God's unconditional love, wisdom, and strength that we can be patient with others' struggles. God promises he will provide for you when you ask him, and he is with you in the uncertainty. So I know Sierra has some other examples. Yeah, I think one of the things that when we were talking about this um, this weekend, and I said to Shoni, I'm like, you know, I know for me when I became a believer, um, I had to cut a lot of people out of my life for the first like six to eight months. And it wasn't because they did something necessarily wrong to me. It was that I had zero self-control. Um, and so I knew if I went and hung out with them, I was gonna fall back right into my old sin patterns. And so um, kind of put some really, really strict boundaries of that I, I couldn't engage with those people. Um, and then about eight months or so afterwards, I got to go and sit down with some of those people, make amends and say, I'm so sorry that I cut you out. Here's why. Um, it wasn't because you, I was mad at you. Um, it was because I was super unhealthy. Um, and then got to say, I'd still like to continue on in this friendship, but it's gonna look a lot different. And, and then in some of those relationships, got to share the gospel, share what God had done in my life. And so you just never know what the Lord's doing, but always, always, always be diligent to put those healthy boundaries in place with the people who maybe um, have been unhealthy or toxic in your life. Um, it's super important. Um, and then also making sure if, if there's abuse as a part of your story in that, um, we also wanna help with that and boundaries and what that might look like. Um, again, that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother day. Um, but again, reach out to your leaders if that's something you have a or want a conversation about. But lastly, I don't know if you heard this, but every single one of them said, anxiety and fear um, because of being up here. And all of them were like, I don't know if I can do this. Um, and they did such a great job. So guys, let's give them a round of applause. We love our coaches here at Region. Y'all don't even know, they are so wise and we would not run Region without them. And so I'd love to pray for us and then we'll move to announcements and get you to your small groups. Lord, thank you for these faithful coaches and just the ways that you have wired them um, and the ways that you have allowed them to be a gift to this ministry and to others. Um, and so Father, I just ask that as uh, we go to small groups that we would um, discuss and, and really look within and say, search me and know me. Um, and that, Lord, if there's anything um, that we talked about here that just resonated with anyone in the room that they would be willing to confess or that they'd be willing to have the hard conversations I mean, if there's anything that people have questions about, that they would be willing to talk to their leaders. And so, Lord, we are so grateful um, that you have redeemed us and that you love us and that you pursue us. And so we just ask that you would continue to refine us and sanctify us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.